Welcome to the Bridge Audiobook Podcast, read by your authors, me, Jared Morris, and Brian Clymer. After discovering radio frequency interference in some blood samples, Sarah called up her friend from college, Jeff Turner, to come investigate. That's sort of what he does for a living. On a quest to figure out what happened to her grandmother and what who this mysterious Ray linguist is, YouTuber Eamon Farouk meets up with Danny Reyes, a mechatronics and engineering student turned MMA fighter wannabe to figure out what the heck is going on. The dangerous and unstable Luke Lowe is making moves and the gang is trying to figure out if they're in over their heads. Seattle, Washington. Eamon's flight would be wheels down about the same time Danny's bus reached his destination. Both are about a two-hour trip. They had to be careful about how they contacted each other. Eamon feared, after the last correspondence from the mysterious Ray Linguist, that her phone would be compromised. She bought a burner phone at a less-than-reputable-looking convenience store. She figured that they had one text to and from before the phone became a hindrance. Her mistake was thinking she could only be tracked if she were using her phone. She powered her main phone down and put it in her back pocket, where, she assumed, when she received a text from Ray on her burner phone, she realized her folly. She had no way of knowing where to start to look for her grandmother, so she started at the assisted living facility where she was last seen. As Eamon entered the tender loving care adult assisted living facility, she expected worse. It was clean and colorful on the inside. It smelled slightly of Vicks and disinfectant. Eamon charged in with the attempt to raise hell. However, she was taken by surprise. Not only was her nanny at the facility, she was dancing. There was 1940s dance music coming from the next room, probably Glenn Miller or Harry James. Something that really swings, man. Eamon didn't understand what she was seeing. She ran to the metal doors, separating the reception area from the rest of the facility. Once again, to her surprise, the doors swung right open. She didn't know what she expected. A prison? She ran up to her grandmother and took her by the hands. Nani, it's me. It's Eamon. Eamon's enthusiasm was quashed when she looked into her grandmother's eyes. There was no sign of recognition. The vibrant, bright-eyed firebrand that Eamon knew was no longer present. Hello, darling, said the male orderly that was carrying Nani through a waltz. Is she drugged? No, ma'am. There's nothing wrong with her. She's just old. She still has a few lucid moments, and she likes the music. She likes to dance. She's happy, but not cognizant. You did the right thing to bring her here. Because of the call from Ray and the sensationalized news reports, Eamon had feared the worst, and it seems she had gotten played. You just missed visiting hours, didn't you, Nani? The orderly said. If you'd like, I'll turn my head for a while so you can have a moment say your goodbyes. He shuffled Nani over to a small card table with two chairs and helped her take a seat. As he turned away, Eamon's grandmother's demeanor changed. Her right arm shot out and her hand grasped Eamon's wrist tightly. She pulled Eamon close with surprising strength. She spoke in a voice that was not entirely hers. Crow Agency, Montana, KIMGFM radio station, is their target, stop them, do you understand? Nani? No, what? I have limited response capabilities. Do you want me to repeat? Yes. Crow Agency Montana, KIMG radio station is their target. Stop them. Do you understand? Yes. 
Bridge connection severed. Goodbye, goodbye. Nani slunked down in her chair. The male orderly came running over. He wiped the drool from her chin and spoke kind words to the elderly woman. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to go, darling, he said. Is she... It's about the usual, darling. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks. Hey, sweetheart, before you go, is your name Emery? It's Eamon. Who's Emery? Somebody your grandmother's been talking about. When I saw you come in, I was sure you were the mysterious Emery she's been talking about. Has she been saying anything else? Eamon asked. Well, she must have been a very pious woman. Religious. I heard her talking about her prior sins. Do the words prior sins mean anything to you? Prior sins? Yes, the orderly said. That and she must be worried about who's paying for her stay here at the Ritz. I've heard her repeat the word billing. But don't you worry about that. She's been completely taken care of. Have a good night, sweetheart. Eamon walked out in a daze with the words repeating in her head. MRI, billing, prior sins. En route to Billings, Montana. Danny felt the familiar vibration of his phone on his leg that meant you got a text. After reading it, he knew his next step, but it slowed him. The whole thing was starting to get real, real, real fast. The text read, From Eamon, Crow Agency, Montana, KIMG-FM, radio station is their target. Stop them. Danny responded, Thank you, 10-4. Danny was happy to be back in his lime green Mustang GT. It was how his trip all started. So much had happened to him in the past few days that, looking back, threatened to give him whiplash. He wondered if he was doing the right thing. Stop them. But he wondered, who am I to get involved? Now that he was on his own again, that old friend Anxiety was back. He did his part. He told the police. How far would he follow Eamon Farouk? How far before he couldn't turn back? The entire thing was just too much. Danny was a smart kid. By himself and on the open road, he had lucidity that wasn't present while in the thick of things. He had a habit of speaking aloud when he tried to reason out his solution to problems. If Sarah Adams was poisoning people, he said, and responsible for whatever the object was, nanotech and you know it, why would she stage a terrorist attack at a radio station? That doesn't make any sense, he said. The device emitted RF. The text doesn't say she's going to boost the signal of the object. Nanotech man, say it. It says she's a terrorist targeting the tower. It didn't fit. He let the idea process before he finally said out loud, Sarah Adams is not the villain. Ain't you ever had sex, man? Exactly. Those two things do not fit together, he thought. He hit the accelerator. Get your ass to Mars, he said and gunned it. He'd forgotten, he already told the police, that she was a terrorist. Inside the bridge. For the first time since its installation, the main probability meter inside the vortex fell below 60%. The vortex began to phase in and out of the visible spectrum. Priuson, Billings, Montana. Recalibrate 04-05-05-31 status. No change, try again. Y slash N back slash Y no change.
backslash L variable assets awaiting CMD parameters backslash L inactive no change. Backslash display prob prob equals 59% slash error percent slash 67%. Backslash display error error unknown. Backslash reset simulation. Backslash. Luke Lowe had spent the last 48 hours stitching together loose ends. There were several of the bridge that couldn't be accounted for. That's why the Terra upgrade was so vital. In these outlying areas, it was too easy for them to wander off the grid and get lost. Later, the bridge intended on excluding individuals with brain injury. But at this stage, they couldn't afford to be choosy. Choosy moms choose bridge. Lowe laughed. The nanotech that they'd applied as the booster had trouble reestablishing connection to the network if the patient had any kind of traumatic brain injury or dementia. There was a conflict between the restorative properties of the vaccine and the tech of the booster. The vaccine really was a miracle. The tardigrade and uh, jellyfish DNA that was implemented was simple and an elegant solution to the problem of disease. The tardigrade DNA allowed certain cells to go offline if they needed to repair the body's natural ability to heal combined with the other ingredients of the vaccine would go to work and heal those offline cells. If the cells were too damaged, the immortal jellyfish DNA allowed the sick or damaged cells to regress into earlier states. With these discoveries, the body became a powerhouse, constantly growing, rebuilding, and getting stronger. It was the apparently inevitability of death that would halt the process. They'd even seen severe burn victims with full-body third-degree burns grow fresh skin under the damaged areas. Nobody could solve the problem of death until Luke Lowe had a flash of brilliance. It came to him like it was in a dream state. He didn't remember when or where the idea came from. During the initial stages, before he lost his mind, he would tell people it was like he always knew. Lowe was a brilliant scientist and one of the lead developers on the vaccine, then known as Tardipax TDAPRV negative 12. He submitted a roadmap to the board at Pryzen to combine nanotech with his vaccine. His idea was to use nanotech as an artificial shield inside the body. For areas that couldn't be repaired or were permanently degraded, mostly due to old age, the nanotech could replicate the healthy cells, allowing the vaccine to heal around the tech. It would be like giving the cells an artificial nucleus. He argued that it was the same as biomechanical implants. However, Pryzen argued that nanotech wasn't at the stage where this could be pursued, and they ordered him to cease development. Lowe became extremely depressed and erratic. In a blackout state, he drew up a new design for the nanotech. He reasoned that the best ideas come from nature. There are several shapes in nature that they continue to use and reuse and you'll find it in all of creation he landed on that spiral shape if he could teach the nanotech which was microscopic to group together these individual nanos could form more and more complex structures the spiraling shape allowed nanos to group together extremely efficiently and grow upon itself exponentially outside the body the nanotech would grow until they were large enough to release nanospores into the air. By using naturally occurring 
spirals such as the nautilus shell, flower bulbs, and others, and hard coding them to follow the Fibonacci sequence, Lowe was able to teach the nanotech to bridge themselves together. They became the basis for the booster pill. Once ingested, the nanotech would be released into the blood, reproduce, and work with the vaccine to keep the body going. Go power! The small, satiny, smooth, spiral-shaped pill was given to patients across Montana, Wyoming, Texas, Washington State, and Oregon. One surprise aspect of the booster pill was it had the ability to replicate itself outside the body. He had employed a former colleague, Dr. Wendy Star Cooper, to monitor patients near the Crow Indian Reservation where the bulk of the human testing took place. There were several occasions where people who were not on the booster began showing properties of the bridge. Several of these, in fact, went online in the bridge unexpectedly. It was these anomalies that Luke was rounding up for the last two days. The only issues with the vaccine booster combination came later. After 120 years, regardless of the body's good health, the patient's minds began to wander and shut down. Many were left in a feedback loop where they just continue repeating the same actions. Some, like Steve Saunders, experienced this much sooner. Some went crazy and attempted suicide. Unfortunately for them, the Vax booster combo wouldn't allow for death. So, the bodies would continue to heal even when the brain faded away. It raised a question to Luke. Did life have an expiration date? He read up on religious concepts of death and rebirth, he wondered if maybe the one thing the vaccine booster combo couldn't regrow was a soul. Or, if not a soul, whatever spark was that made someone who they were. Lowe claimed that he didn't experiment on himself and didn't take the vaccine. However, working as close as he did with the nanotech, he had realized that the nanospores had infected him. It was likely he had cross-contaminated with the vaccine in the lab giving Lowe the ability to skirt death. Of course, it was during this period that Dr. Lowe began having blackouts. He didn't realize that he'd interfaced with something at first. He thought he was having breakthroughs, but, but he soon realized that he was working towards someone else's goal. The goal wasn't to heal the body. The goal was evolution, to evolve the body and integrate the mind into a network of minds. This he called the bridge. When Lowe received the reset command for mission control, he was angry. He expected to be part of the showdown at KIMG, but it wanted him to return to the lab. That meant the probability calculators think that him being at the radio station wasn't necessary or possibly it was necessary that he not be there. They must have foreseen things going extremely beneficial or extremely bad. Oh, well, he said, at least I can go control the traffic. And go, 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 en route to Billings, Montana. It did indeed look like there was a storm on the horizon. One of those big sky light up the heavens electric storms that humbles even the most boastful man. The infinite power and terrible glory of nature of God's creation reminded us of the very temporary nature of life. Gone in a blink and the universe doesn't shed a tear. She doesn't even notice the man is gone. There were no stops on the nearly hour-long sojourn from Hardin to Crow Agency, so Danny decided to get off on the old 87 and pop into one of the gas stations for supplies.
It was slim pickings at the Cenex on Old 87. Danny picked up some jerky and a few cans of Red Bull. He had a moment of near panic when his debit card was rejected. The clerk told him they'd been having trouble with the machine all day. Besides, it, w- it worked in the gas pump. He had a few bills on him, put back the jerky, grabbed a few Slim Jims in their stead. He excitedly told the clerk that he needed a little excitement and was going to snap into his Slim Jim. The clerk did not react. Guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, Danny said, but your kids are going to love it. He proudly walked through the automatic doors and got back behind the wheel of his grabber line Mustang GT. Danny had an aftermarket heads-up display installed in his GT. It gave him information like speed and gas without requiring the driver to look away from the road. It would flash an envelope icon if there were any unread messages. He picked up the phone, gave it a slide, glanced to see who the message was from. It was from unknown members. Ugh, spam shit, he thought. His phone chimed again. He had a fleeting thought that it could be Eamon and she could be in trouble. So he pulled the vehicle over, put on his hazard lights, and grabbed the phone. The first text was from an unknown number, which oddly read as cloaked number. In the body of the message, the message read, Both of us believe it is insane to risk what you have in order to obtain what you don't need. Warren Buffett. The second message made Danny's heart leap into his throat. It was also sent by this cloaked number. It was a screenshot. It was a screenshot of the file structure from his laptop. It showed somebody trying to view his crypto wallet. The file that kept the information about all his cryptocurrency holdings. It read that the file was corrupt. It also showed a recovery operation that returned zero results. Without the keys found within the wallet, the currency would be unreachable and ultimately lost. There were utilities to restore information from, say, a crashed hard drive, but they weren't always successful. Dan already lost $200,000 a few years back during such a situation. He'd cashed out a great deal, but not all, of his crypto a few years ago when everybody was making bank. However, the threat was clear. It's insane to risk what you have in order to obtain what you don't need. Danny understood the implications. Risk versus reward. Why risk everything he'd built to fight a battle that wasn't his? It was a head game. Whoever was the big chief commander and in charge of this game, corrupting Danny's wallet was just a small showing of his power. Years earlier, Danny cashed in most of his crypto, so this wasn't a crushing blow. It was a warning shot, the proverbial shot across the bow. Suddenly, Danny just wanted to be back in Tennessee with his sister and his mom, yet he drove on. Tell me, Danny said, did you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? En route to KMGFM, 170319. The rain was drenching their Chevy and sheets, and Jeff Turner had been mostly silent on the drive back to the reservation. He insisted on leaving the lab, though. Sarah wanted to go back to the fourth floor and regroup. They ended up taking the stairs, grabbing some equipment and snacks, and got back on the road. The further they got from Pryson, the more talkative Jeff became. He was very clearly troubled by his experience inside the bridge. It wasn't so much that he didn't want to talk about it. He was having trouble processing it. 
Every observation he made came in little bursts like a dream, but more vivid. Oh, so much more vivid. I can tell you, Sarah, that I wasn't chosen at random. You know how some computer programs have different levels of accounts? Yeah, I might have a guest, user, or admin. Guests can maybe look around but not change much. Users have other privileges. They can see files that guests can't, can install programs, access the tools, etc. Admin, he trailed off. Well, to beg the analogy, as user, I knew the admin existed, but I didn't have access to the account. Sarah had to admit Jeff's description didn't help her understand. Okay, Jeff let out a deep breath. There were two experiences. One I got figured, the other I don't know. You know those faces we saw on the computers upstairs? Those are all connected. The computers? No, the people. I couldn't really, he said, I, I, I don't know how, but I could feel them. It started when I was in the basement. I could feel it watching me, Sarah. It notices us noticing it. Sarah made a face expressing confusion and frustration. Well, what do they want? What are they up to? Sarah asked. Not they. It. Sarah, this isn't some big tech conspiracy. This is something different on an evolutionary scale. But all my impressions are contradictory. Its goal is to exist. That sounds silly because it obviously does exist and it's true, but equally untrue. Let's see if I can... Sarah grabbed his hand as she drove. He didn't react. It's okay, Jay. Let's, let's just go turn that motherfucker off. Jeff didn't say it, possibly because he was forbidden. But he knew that wasn't going to work, just like he knew he would not survive the attempt. Whatever you want, Sarah. He looked into her eyes, and she his. She turned away quickly. There was something there, something indefinable, that her mind felt was repellent. Sarah's right hand was caught and stopped as it reached to turn on the radio. She raised her eyes to his once again. He gave her a quick shake of the head and said, Nope. Because she wasn't sure how to act, Sarah tried to lighten the mood. At least there's no insane deer to run into, she said. Huh? Said Jeff as he stared ahead, barely blinking. 173608. The bridge. Somewhere inside the bridge, an immeasurable number of calculations were being processed to find the most probable outcome to the following events. The bridge didn't have the convenience of a cohesive mind to make a decision. It was all based on mathematics. The machines assigned a value to each participant in its creation. Some of those inside the bridge would play little to no role in the emergence. Others, like Sarah Adams, were unpredictable. They were in the blind spot because the future is undetermined. A wild card like Sarah could completely jeopardize or be the key to the bridge's sentience. It didn't know, so it ran probability calculations. Dial 206-500-INXXXXIV-00-276-23-00-000-X message. Adams to 45.60-41 degree man. 107.4645 degrees W status. Returned. Signal failed to connect. Try again. Y slash N backslash Y no change. Try again. Y slash N backslash set to loop loop set background dial 1 slash 0 backslash set 1 set active.
Backslash display prob prob equals 70% slash 68% slash 70%. Backslash connect ID 00-236-82-0012023 remote connection established awaiting command. En route to KMGFM. Jeff, are you sick? Sarah asked. She'd been wrestling with an idea since she first saw him. She mistook his gaunt appearance for age, but it really hadn't been that long. Well, was all Jeff offered. Here's what I don't understand, she said. You want to know how it interfaced with me. The truth is, I don't know. You didn't get the vaccine. I didn't. And otherwise, I'm healthy. I've lost weight, but that's more related to my poor eating habits and having depression. Flu shot? Nah. I don't normally. I got one one time and I got really sick. The only thing I can think of is that I needed some booster shots when I switched doctors. That was for measles and mumps and rubella. That's normal around your age. Any side effects? Mm, no. He was absentmindedly rubbing his vaccination site. Don't worry, I'm fine, Jeff told her. However, he thought, I can still feel it in my head, Sarah. It's quiet. It's like my soul is reaching out trying to form... A connection. 1856. Crow Agency, Montana. Papa Bear Boo Boo Archer, chief of the Crow Agency Police Department, was sitting at his desk eating a protein bar, drinking a bang, energy drink, and reading his emails when he heard a rapping at his door. Sadachi Kahi, he said, come in. It was Detective Manny Santiago. He looked slightly disheveled in appearance, was wearing running shoes, and was rocking a five o'clock shadow. Chief, remember that kid Danny Reyes that didn't show up training at your gym? Manny said, sure. No refunds, they shared a laugh. I just got a text from him. He said that Sarah Adams is a terrorist and going to attack the radio station. Manny said, ha, what? Archer laughed. I would say that that seems unlikely. He sat forward in his chair, but guess we can't ignore something like that. What do you want to do? I'd say call Homeland, but Danny said the threat was imminent, Manny said. Go check it out. I'll call Tom Flynn, tell him to keep an eye out. Tom Flynn? Yeah, he owns the Grants Radio Group. He's Cheyenne. He and his partners bought it a few years back using the federal grant, hence the name. You know, Indian stuff. 10-4. I'll ride over there and I'll let you know, Manny said. Thanks for the heads up. Don't kill yourself over it. Remember that we have to put community first. And these are a bunch of outsiders, after all. If your tip has legs, let the FBI handle it. Archer stood up, and he stared out the big window of his office. There was a large, ominous thunderclap. Manny, be careful, he said. It looks like there's a storm a-coming. Archer picked up his office phone and dialed the private number of Tom Flynn. Flynn was out of the area, but... He called the station manager and told him to report anything suspicious. Chief Archer also said a storm is coming. Don't forget to turn on the Jenny before you head out. The automatic start function on the KIMGFM emergency standby generator gave up the ghost during the last big thunderstorm. Until they got it to the shop, they'd have to turn it on manually whenever there was a threat of weather so they could stay on the air. They had enough fuel to run it uh, through the overnight until the morning crew could end their shifts. Hopefully... There wasn't a power outage, or it wouldn't be on for the morning show. Maybe update the evening weather, too. I don't remember hearing anything about a storm in the one that's running. Looks like it might rain cats and dogs, he said.
inside the bridge. Parody, 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 parody. Grant's radio site, Crow Agency, Montana. The rain fell in dredging sheets as it pounded the shingled roof of the tiny transmitter shed. As Jeff stood in the elements, he had a premonition. No, not a premonition, he thought. I can see through time. He had the unwanted ability to see multiple outcomes to events unfolding before him. He knew it was because of his connection to the bridge, and more specifically the vortex, that he was gifted this newfound and terrifying ability. He wasn't sure what was controlling it, because he didn't think anything was in control. Things were going to turn out a certain way, call it fate, whether Jeff, Sarah, or the bridge liked it or not. Still, it was disorienting. Jeff had a difficult time staying focused on reality. Some of the alternative realities he saw were damned frightening, others mundane. With every move, the number of realities decreased, merging into one another. The probable was threatening to become the inevitable. Through every cycle, there was one image that became increasingly clear, Sarah. At first, she was just a ginger blur with a thousand arms moving in a thousand different ways. But as the moments passed, those thousands coalesced into hundreds, into several, and finally into two. It was one reality where Sarah stood with her head lowered, fatigued, upset, but alive. In all the other realities, he saw her being murdered. As she stood with her back turned, she heard someone call her name. She turned to the sound of the voice and caught an 9mm slug from a police-issued Glock 19. As she collapsed onto the ground, on her knees, folding in on herself, he couldn't forget the look in her eyes. Betrayal. As he surveyed the field, Jeff couldn't see the killer. Soon he realized why. He was looking out of the killer's eyes. He murdered her. He murdered Sarah, the only person he'd ever loved. This couldn't be allowed to happen. He fought against the other Jeff, the voice inside his head, the voice that said many are one. 1902. Driving back through Indian country, landmarks that seemed just around the corner loomed far in the distance. It was that way for the KMG FM radio tower. With the electrical activity in the skies, the GPS had become unreliable. When they saw a blinking red light, the aircraft warning lights, they assumed the tower was close. It was, however, like chasing the moon. They never got any closer. Worse still, the sun had set and everything looked the same at night on the back roads. There were no street lights. There were few, if any, other cars on the road. Occasionally, they'd happen across a trailer with a dim porch light, reminding them that there were other humans alive on this desolate and lonely planet. They'd been driving in relative silence for the past 20 minutes. When Jeff finally spoke again, Sarah was startled. She had been in deep internal conversation. He told her to turn left on the BIAI Crow St. Xavier Road, the next left. Finally, as they traversed the road and she began seeing tower lights get closer and closer, she didn't ask how Jeff knew. She knew how he knew. There was a small wooden hand-painted sign located near a long dirt driveway that read Grant's Radio. Sarah pulled the Chevy Spark into the driveway and could see a small building about a quarter of a mile from the dirt path. Honey, we're home, Sarah said. She looked at Jeff while he looked out without reacting. He was all business. What was he thinking? They inched ahead in their compact Chevrolet with lights and radio extinguished. 
Sarah had a familiar gnawing anxiety deep in her chest and stomach. Her legs felt very heavy. There was something that terrified her. Her natural instinct was to flee. To her, it was one of those events she knew there was no coming back from. It was the kind of event that you woke up in the morning and the reality of what happened hit you and you'd feel hopeless. This was a bad place. The driveway did not lead to the tower, but to a small parking area outside the double-wide trailer. According to the sign of the door, the double-wide housed the Grants Radio Sales Office and Broadcast Studio for KIMG-FM. Even though the studio lights danced red and green with the VU meters and the station's analog console was lit and blinking red, orange, and green lights, there were no DJs. There was no life. Just screensavers on computers, monitors, and the active security system. The station was being run by computer automation. That's what really killed the radio star. What do you want to do, Jay? Sarah asked in a whisper. He held up his right arm and showed her the hair was standing up. Let's go find what's causing that. Sarah was worried about the weather. She had seen a few straight lightning bursts high in the sky, but they appeared to be in the distance. Still, the idea of being out here underneath a huge metal structure did nothing for her anxiety. Jeff was now clearly leading the charge. He walked her silently back to the building. Like he expected, there was an outhouse-sized transmitter shed with a small fenced-in path that led to the tower. The fence only stood about 12 inches high and wrapped around the path. Inside the caging was a large black cable that led to a large steel lattice tower. The tower stood 61 meters or about 200 feet. It was an imposing figure in the night. The tower had two sets of guy wires used to support and stabilize the structure. The galvanized braided steel tension wires attached midway at the top of the tower. They were anchored to the ground somewhere in the field, buried deep below in concrete shoes. The air around the tower smelled of ozone. As Sarah parked the car, Jeff asked her to pop the trunk. He said he needed to see his tools. Sarah had been getting increasingly troubled by Jeff's change in demeanor. His steely focus was not typical of his personality. She still wasn't sure what the plan was, and now that they were at the tower site, she was intimidated by the vastness of the structure. She felt like they were in over their heads. Jeff took three pieces of equipment out of the trunk. Each was in a thick, hard, yellow plastic case. To Sarah, it looked like he was playing a huge, imaginary game of three-card Monty. He'd hover his hands over each item, pause, move on, and do it again. He looked like the psychic detective, running his hands over items that may have belonged to a victim. Yes, she was troubled indeed. In such a desolate area, the only sound was the dusk insects, animals, and wind. He could hear faintly the sound of a portable radio from inside the transmitter shed. It was there to monitor the signal. Sarah heard the other vehicles approaching long before she saw them. Finally, Jeff chose the larger of the three cases, props it up on the car trunk, and unhooks the latches. He pulled out the black triangular device equipped with several antenna and fan blades. He placed his iPad on a stand on the trunk and got to work on the drone. He began running an app on his iPad that connected to the drone's now-powered-up camera. What are we going to do with that? asked Sarah. 
Jeff was merely going through the motions as he was fairly certain he knew how things were going to end. It didn't look good from any angle. Gotta find the dish, he said. This is a primarily a radio tower for the Grants Radio Network. However, radio companies have been leasing tower space to outside companies for years. The dish we're looking for is the PS Interactive dish. It'd be easier to see in the daylight for sure, Jeff said. Then what? Well, let me take it out. I believe if we knock it out of alignment, it should cease to operate. If that doesn't work, he pointed to a large cable running from the transmitter shed to the tower. We cut the power. Is this the right thing to do? Sarah asked. Jeff cycled through images in his head like a flip book. Most showed Sarah dying. I don't think we have a choice, he said. 1933-35. Danny Reyes was running on pure instinct. He didn't know what he was doing. Eamon told him to stop Sarah Adams, but how was he going to do that? And to complicate matters, he was fairly certain that Eamon was being manipulated. Don't just blindly follow the girl that you simpin', he thought. She'd made a lot of strange decisions. She was making decisions on emotions rather than evidence. The way that she trusted Ray Linguist, the object, nanotech, her splitting and leaving him alone in a strange city, it was erratic behavior. But Eamon wasn't the one who'll get shot in the back by the police during a traffic stop. Well, not all cops are bastards, Jenny thought. Manny Santiago seemed cool. Just then, his Danny sense fired, and he didn't know why. There was something he was supposed to remember. He didn't know what he was going to do when he got to the KMG radio tower. Yet, he had a gut feeling that if he didn't show up, things would be much worse. He'd say that he didn't know how he knew these things, but... The truth is, he always knew which decision to take in the end. That's how he got rich. Damn, that was some wild lightning, he thought. Siri, play the new DOS X, Danny said. He needed a bop. Siri complied. third vehicle sat with its engine and lights off, parked just behind the transmitter shed. It was hidden in the shadows. The occupant was carefully watching for the movements of the fiery redhead and her accomplice. Here they were, already breaking the law. You're trespassing, you fuck sticks. Detective Manny Santiago thought. He drew his sidearm and waited. 1945-12. So, what will taking it offline do? Will it stop them, or it or whatever? Sarah asked. She felt nervous over their plan. She still felt like she was in way over her head, or at least way out of the comfort zone. It's been a while since I've fought any zombies, she joked, trying to lighten the mood. Jeff had minimized his drone app and now had a familiar signal mapping app on his iPad display. The screen was almost entirely encompassed in a pulsating white sphere. He aimed the iPad up at the tower and the color changed to a pale pink. The word source now displayed superimposed over the wireframe image of the tower. He opened up the options menu by clicking on the small gear icon in the top hand uh, left corner. This app will allow us to simulate just that. Now, now that we're close enough to the source, the app can differentiate between the master and the slave. Clicking on the icon brought down drop down menu. Currently the word source was highlighted in bright blue. Under source were listed several other options. Sarah could make out composite, transmission, receiving, and off and on. When expanded, receiving brought up a submenu that consisted of all Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, AM, FM, VHF, other, and unknown. 
Jeff selected receiving and Wi-Fi. Suddenly, a pale pink uh, transmitting signal was removed from the screen. The spinning spiral that represented loading then appeared on the screen for several seconds. The display automatically began to zoom out. Eventually, tiny red dots started to appear on the screen. If you notice, the app had to expand the monitoring area because there are very few receivers around us in the middle of nowhere ass Montana. However, when you zoom out the area, they start to populate the screen. I'd guess that several of these clusters are local wildlife that were inadvertently exposed. Jeff kept the sum strategically placed over the red dot that represented Jeff Turner. And if we disconnect, Sarah motioned towards the cluster near the top of the screen. What of them? Jeff went back to the settings menu and rested his index finger above the on-off slider. The app will simulate if any connections are severed from the particular signaling device. He slid the bar from on to off. A pop-up menu appeared in his screen. Similar to a cell phone, there was a list of available connections. Out in the wilderness, there were very few listed. Since AM, FM, and VHF waves didn't require connection, this portion of the program could only simulate Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and cellular networks. Cellular was defaulted to off because they encompassed such a large area. The data would be meaningless. The list showed Grant's Radio Guest, Grant Radio Private, Xfinity, RDF H11C, and one that simply read PS1234, and another that was blacked out and glitched. Jeff guessed that the blacked out network was their target. The Bluetooth showed Chevy Internal, Soundtooth, Reader XL, Studio TV, USB Studio Mic, and Mr. Eyes Earpods. The Chevy Internal selection was surely Sarah's car. The others, they assumed, were probably devices inside the radio station. Jeff clicked on both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, followed by the Accept button at the bottom of the list. The app brought up a prompt asking Jeff if he was sure. He clicked Accept, and the screen changed. The pop-up menu disappeared, and the app began processing Jeff's request. After a few excruciating minutes, a large group of red lights indicating connections turned gray. Well, according to this... It will disconnect from these receivers. What will that do? I haven't got figured. I don't know, Jeff said. Okay, well, riddle me this, Batman. What is the signal? Is it controlling them? I only had impressions of it when I was in the bridge. I can feel it right now. The signal is merely connecting to the devices, Jeff said. Sarah bristled at Jeff referring to people as devices. Imagine you're trapped in a deep pit. There are these people that are outside the pit with rope and they want to save you. However, they only have a few feet of rope. So each person takes his piece of rope. And the first person heads into the pit. The second person has the same amount of rope. He climbs over the first person and dangles his piece of rope. This happens until there's enough rope to get you out of the pit. These people are all connected to you. The first person though he's not actually touching you, is connected to you via the second, third, and the rest of the people. It's like a human chain. Why not just tie all the rope together? Sarah asked, knowing she was missing the point. There's not enough rope, or in this case, not enough power. The signal is the rope. The people are, well, the people. So the signal links the people together so that they're connected to the source. The source is the source of the signal, the bridge. So, uh, if we turn it off, Sarah said. Well... It'll disconnect the devices. They'll either be here or they'll fall into the pit and break their necks, Sarah. 
I don't know. But if I'm right, breaking the chain should cause a cascade through the entire bridge. Cutting off the signal should be like cutting off the power to whatever is inside these people. Without instructions, it'll shut down. Blue screen of death. Grant's radio site, Crow Agency, Montana. Of course it's raining like the beast, Danny said aloud. It's just going to mess up my drip, he laughed to himself. People thought he was a little off for all the movie quotes, but their slang sounded just as dumb as him. But still, the rains were going to mess up his drip, he thought. He was having trouble seeing a few feet in front of the Mustang GT. He wondered if it would be a terrible idea to take a microdose of THC. He had a few of those gummy edibles in his glove box. He didn't normally, but he was actually very frightened, and he was in way over his head. I'm in big trouble, mm-hmm, he said to his reflection. Detective Manny Santiago was on edge this evening. It may have been the electricity in the air, but he found himself getting agitated at the weight. This kid, Danny Reyes, had texted him and told him that he had a tip that Sarah Adams, the vaccine girl, was a terrorist and was going to target the radio station outside of Crow Agency. It didn't seem to fit with her personality. How was she radicalized? By whom? What is the point of attacking a radio tower for a small radio group in Indian country, Montana? But here she was, her and her boyfriend, gathered around a screen and taking equipment out of the trunk. One of the pieces of the equipment made him clench. It looked like some sort of weapon attached by wires in a small box. He didn't know what he was looking at, and he didn't realize his heart rate had just shot up about 30 beats per minute. A kid is right, I'll be damned, he said. As the rain let up, Manny Santiago heard the approaching vehicle. Aw, oh, shit, what's he doing here? Danny didn't roll up in any kind of clandestine fashion. He had his high beams illuminated, he was listening to a bass-heavy song, and you could hear the rib-shaking, low-note frequencies, even with the window closed. He thinks he owns the place, Manny said to no one. The very conspicuous arrival of Danny Reyes changed the entire scene. Sarah and Jeff exchanged glances, both feeling like kids caught with their hands in the proverbial cookie jar. Dan wasn't oblivious. His obnoxious arrival was choreographed. The worst thing he could do as a young black man was pop up unexpectedly in a high-tension situation, especially when there was most likely a police officer with a gun drawn somewhere nearby. As friendly as Manny Santiago had been, it would still be a risk he was not willing to take. He parked the car in the employee parking lot. As he stepped out into the rain, there was a large thunderclap. Danny used this to announce his presence. To all my love slaves out there, Thunderlips is here. In the flesh, baby. The ultimate male versus the ultimate meatball, Danny said. Danny could see the light from Sarah's flashlight app on her iPhone peeking around the building. He decided that would be a good place to start. He didn't see any sign of Manny Santiago yet. Maybe Manny didn't take Danny's tip seriously. As he cornered the building, somebody was walking towards him. That was unexpected. He could tell immediately by her quaff of red hair, even under her hat, who it was. Danny Reyes had come to face face with Sarah Adams. As they approached each other, they both had the same sensation, although neither would vocalize it. They felt like old friends. They felt like brother and sister reunited. Sarah decided he was trustworthy right off the bat. It took Danny longer. Jeff stood at the base of the tower with his drone in hand. He'd been waiting for the rain to cease before lunch. Most drones could not fly in the rain as they were not water-resistant or waterproof. He connected the drone to the controls of his iPad via Bluetooth. 
and loaded the remote video flight app. This is it, he thought. Either ends all here or it all starts here. Could both be true? The first thing he wanted to do was take a look at the dish. His drone was equipped with a 20 megapixel camera capable of 4K high-res video capture. It was capable of 30 minutes of continuous flight with a top speed of 44 miles per hour. As he powered the drone up, a picture displayed on his iPad fed directly from the drone camera. He would need to record the footage. That freed up some of the computational power. He waited for Sarah to return before he launched the drone. Sarah? Sarah Adams? Danny asked. Do I know you? She countered. You gotta stop what you're doing. People are gonna get hurt, Danny said. Sarah flashed back to the odd message she received earlier from Chief Archer. 911, Sarah, this is Boo. Stop whatever you're doing now and call me. Emergency, 911. Says who? Where are you getting your information? I have a friend who hosts a YouTube show. She was contacted by a whistleblower. Look, I know how that sounds, but there's a lot more to it. It's nanotech. I've seen it. If you turn it off, he said they're going to die. Danny was confirming or giving credence to her suspicions that some sort of nanotechnology was involved. It wasn't a word Jeff had used, but he had guarded his words very carefully since the incident at Priuson. What was the whistleblower's name? Sarah asked. Man, I don't know, girl. Ray something, Ray Linguist. Linguist? Nah, I'm sure it was Linguist, like someone who studies languages, he said. That's not a common last name, but Sarah trailed off and began to rearrange the letters in her head. Anagrams were just another puzzle, and Sarah had a gift for patterns. Singularity, she said. Oh, shit. It clicked in Danny's head. It's an anagram, man. So, like a black hole... Sarah said, or like the moment when machines become self-aware, Danny suggested, but it was just a pseudonym. Everyone uses them online. I'm not really chunky lover 23, but I am on Reddit. What if you're wrong? Sarah asked. What if you are? Danny countered. This thing is evil, Sarah said. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil, Danny said. Exactly. And look how that worked out for Anakin. Why don't both you dumb fucks shut the hell up and put your hands in your head? That is not a suggestion, Detective Manny Santiago said as he emerged from the shadows. It meant he left Jeff Turner unattended, but his policed instincts told him it was now or never. Manny, it's me. Me, it's Danny Reyes, Danny said. Oh, that's strange. My badge says Detective Santiago, Crow Agency Police Department, Mr. Reyes, Manny said. Danny was shocked. How could he have been so wrong about this guy? Surrender, shit dick. Santiago commanded. You mean you wish to surrender to me? Very well, I accept. Sarah didn't know what to think of Danny. On one hand, he seemed like a crazy person. On the other hand, he was hilarious. She couldn't imagine being so ballsy as to quote the Princess Bride at a cop holding a weapon on you. Yes, she thought. This Danny guy is crazy, but uh, I like it. Sarah said, I think there's some misunderstanding. Manny countered. Zip it, gringa. Ah, the men are talking. Look, man, I think... Sarah started. I think my name is not man. To you, it's Detective Santiago. Now, I advise you to shut your smart fucking mouth, put your hands in the air, or I'll fucking tase you. Danny noticed that although Santiago threatened to use his taser, it was his Glock that was unholstered. It was his Glock that was pointed in the wrong direction. 
But I'm the one that tipped you off about her, Danny said. I'll tell you what I see. I see three outsiders here sniffing around, not keeping appointments, and creeping on private property in the middle of the night. As far as I see it, you're both two sides of the same coin. Creeps. Well, Cohagen, Danny said. I have to hand it to you. It's the best mindfuck yet. Okay, asshat. You asked for it. Manny said. In a blink, Detective Santago raised his glock and pointed its steely executioner directly at Danny's head. He turned to Sarah. You saw it. He was resisting. Jeff had been aware of a confrontation, although he didn't see it with his own eyes. Between thunderclaps, he could hear impassioned speech. Two voices. The conversation was broken by a third angry voice. This is when he became concerned. Asked to not alert them of his meddling, Jeff took control of the drone and ascended about 200 feet in the air. It was almost three times the height of the tower. He switched the wide-angle setting of the camera and watched the feed. He saw two people standing close together with their hands raised, a third individual off to the side. He was nearly invisible in the shadow of the radio station trailer. He set the drone to hover so that he could continue to watch the scene. But it looked like he was going to have to get involved. He'd been hoping that it would just be he and Sarah at the tower, although his premonitions told him otherwise. Jeff opened the signal tracker app and examined the screen. There was a large cluster of red dots, but there are far too many, and they were too far away. As he used his index finger to scroll the screen, he saw a red dot a few feet behind the radio station. He flipped open the drone feed. There was a large adult male mule deer grazing in the area. It was perfect. Mule deer aren't the largest of cervids, but at maturity, they can reach about 330 pounds. Their racks don't grow as large as other species of deer, and like other subspecies, they are shed annually. But they're sturdy and sharp, and they make formidable defensive weapons. Jeff finally had the courage to do something he'd been dreading. He brought up the tracker app, turned its detector on himself. He knew that the bridge was within him and guiding certain steps. However, he also knew that he was still Jeff. If he saw a connection, it would become real. He also knew that this was the end game. He knew that things for him would end very soon indeed. After fiddling with a few settings, he was able to locate the red dot that represented Jeff. To be exact, it represented the nanotech in Jeff's blood that was connecting him to the neural network that was being built that would become the bridge if allowed to propagate. After swapping out a few more settings, he's able to see a yellow signal emanating from his location. It had about a six-foot range, just about enough for social distancing, Jeff thought. The third piece of equipment Jeff brought along was a transmitter. Starting life... As a small transmitter capable of just a few yards, it was rigged to disrupt signals. It was a jammer. He made a few adjustments to allow for the frequency range he was hoping to disrupt. He hoped to use it at the tower, but that thing was putting off far too much RF. He already surmised that the odd behavior of the deer in the area had been to, due to gaps in the signal. When the deer got out of range, they would begin a repetitive cycle and be caught in a feedback loop. He thought he could hijack them in that state. He fiddled with a few of the settings on the device, rested it on the roof of his car, and began transmission. Checking his iPad, the Signal Trapper app showed a male mule deer had gone from a red dot to a gray dot, indicating an offline status. 
Jeff approached the deer without much stealth. In its offline state, the deer would be unlikely to react to his presence. As he came within about six feet, the gray dot on his iPad representing the offline deer became yellow. Jeff clicked the yellow dot, connected. After it ran through its connection cycle, the readout changed to syncing. Within a few moments, Jeff could feel the deer's presence. That's not completely accurate. He could feel the deer's mind. He didn't believe that he could fully control it, but he could make a suggestion. His goal was to cause commotion and get Sarah out of harm's way. In this case, harm's way was the maniac cop holding a gun on her. The suggestion would have to be something simple, something that an animal could process. After a few moments, an idea materialized. He wasn't sure from whence it came. It was just possible that it came from the deer to him as from him to the deer. It was a still picture. He focused on the image of a bow hunter, all smiles, posing over a fallen doe. The deer stiffened and its beautiful brown regal head shot up, as if caught by surprise. It turned its neck and head, slightly now staring lasers through Detective Santiago. Manny raised his gun and pointed it towards Danny's head right between the eyes. He took a breath, held it, and started to squeeze the trigger. Dude, you're better than this. Just because you're a cop, you don't have to kill the unarmed black guy, Sarah said. Danny gave her a sidelong stare that said, Do not antagonize the man with the gun. The mule deer took off like a shot. Within a few seconds, it was a light brown blur, almost flying, running at 55 miles per hour faster than any deer in Earth's recorded history. Well, Jeff remarked, this should be interesting. Danny closed his eyes and prayed for something, anything to save him. He had a flashback to something every teacher said to him in high school. Your smart-ass mouth is going to get you in serious trouble one day. He opened his eyes when he heard Sarah shout, Look out, moron! <laughs> Manny chuckled. How stupid do you think I am? It's going to impale you, Sarah shouted. The kingly beast of the wood was just a few seconds away and almost on top of Manny. Santiago saw something out of the corner of his eye and turned. The beautiful buck stopped in its tracks just a few feet from Manny and jerked its body upwards. Its sinewy muscles tensed and stretched. Then the deer started shakily walking towards the detective on its hind legs. Oh shit, fam. Danny gasped, so like us. Santiago's brain was trying to process what was happening as he attempted to adjust and readjust the aim on his firearm, but it was too late. The deer's powerful front legs started flailing wildly upward then downward into a herky-jerky dance. Manny's head and shoulders served as its dance floor. What the fuck? Tinga tu madre! Manny screamed as he tried to shield his face with his gloved hands. Por favor! The deer walked and hopped forward on its strong and powerful hind legs and continued its assault. It looked as if it was trying to repeatedly slap the detective downward towards the ground over and over again. This mighty servant in this position had a few feet on Manny and was dominating him. Its sharp, hard hooves scraped and bruised Santiago's head, neck, and shoulders. His hands were bloodied with defensive wounds. Crimson liquid started to run down his forehead and neck. Adios mio casusto, many uh, muttered. <laughs>
The mule deer screamed in a surreal cry that sounded like an infant human mixed with a sick animal. This is the greatest thing I have ever seen in my life, Danny remarked. Yo, that deer is the goat. As the muscular and taut beast rained down blows upon its enemy, one strike knocked the glock from Manny's hand. It fired into the distance as it spun away from its violent dance partners. After a few more blows to the head, Detective Santiago went down like his sister on prom night. Danny and Sarah stood perfectly still, afraid to move. The deer fell back onto its forelegs, and it turned to them. Dead silence filled the air. The beautiful buck huffed a mighty exhalation into the night air and stood proud over its conquered enemy. After a few beats, the deer twitched an ear and, with a glint in his eye, trotted slowly away from the scene. Sarah and Danny turned to each other. Together, they said, What the fuck? Detective Santiago was alive, but not in particularly good shape. Sarah weighed whether or not to get him help. Kid, do you have a cell? Someone has to call for an ambulance, Sarah said. Yo, I saw this YouTube video a while back from some TV show called When Animals Attack, and it was just like that. That deer was fucking hyped. That was sick, Danny said. I think the cop's going to bleed out if we don't help him, Sarah said. It's like, is a story, is it possibly true? Danny said, affecting a very serious announcer voice. Yes, it is. A similar story happened in the state of Montana about 20 years ago. It happened. It's fact. Sarah laughed. Okay, okay, are you done? Danny held up an index finger to indicate one more. He said, This was only one of the many adventures of this deer whose name amongst its kind was John Deer. He ran off into the night after a good night's sleep would run into another ragtag gang of misfits. But that's a story for another time. Sherry shook her head in good humor. You good? I'm I. I'm Gucci. Jeff didn't recall picking up the detective's discarded gun, but there it was, tucked into his belt. He could feel the cold steel press into his flesh. As he landed the drone in preparation for his final flight, he knew it was going to be just the beginning. He could see it from a mile away, but he was powerless to stop it. This is how it's always happened, a voice in his head consoled. When Jeff allowed himself to share headspace with that deer, he opened the last gate into his subconsciousness. When he allowed that one image to escape, he allowed something else in, and it wrapped its insidious tendrils around his mind. It supped upon his identity. The thing didn't want to control him. It wanted to absorb him to become him, and he it. Just as Jeff saw his premonitions, electrical activity lit up the sky. A loud accompanying bang rattled their rib cages. Jeff had foreseen it happening like this. An unknown person would be steering the drone. Sarah would be shouting commands and using the iPad. And Jeff, well, bang, bang. He also had seen that it could only end one way without Sarah being killed. He unconsciously put his hand on the cold steel of the detective's Glock. It felt comforting. This was the only way. Jeff called out to Sarah and Danny. Kid, you with us or against us? He motioned with his eyes to the weapon in his belt. 
Not a threat, a promise. Sarah didn't notice the exchange. Great, Danny said to himself. Uh, another psychopath with a gun. Yo, calm down, fam. What are you cats doing anyway? Danny said. I'm... We're running out of time, said Jeff. Long story, Danny, Sarah said. Can you pilot a drone? Jeff asked. Can I? Danny said. Sensing it wasn't the right time, he forgot saying that he made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Yes, of course I can. Sarah, we don't have a lot of time. If you want to monitor the signal tracker feed, be his eyes. What are you going to do? I'm going to try not to bleed to death. When Santiago's gun went off during the melee, a stray bullet grazed Jeff's right side. It looked worse than it was, but it felt worse than it looked. He lifted his black shirt to show Sarah the wound caused by the projectile. Jesus, Jeff, we need to get you to a doctor, Sarah said. I'm okay. I'm better than the deer hunter over there, Jeff said. Did you do that, Jeff? Did you control that deer? Sarah asked softly. Yes and no. I didn't control it. That's not possible. I merely fed her to suggest him when it was in a highly suggestible state. The rest of that crazy shit was all deer. Truth is, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't expect that. He laughed and winced. Okay, kid, we don't have a lot of time. Pilot the drone until you see the dish that's protruding from the side of the tower. It's about 40 foot below the pinnacle. He pointed upwards to the PS interactive dish. It was larger than it looked from the ground. Okay, then what? Danny asked. Still unsure this was the right thing to do. Then ram it. I'll monitor the signal if that doesn't do the job. He held up the drone and pointed to a small contraption on its undercarriage. I've rigged up a simple battery-operated electromagnetic remote-controlled pneumatic solenoid valve. When it's triggered, it sends a small electrical current through a magnet, allowing the valve to open. One side of the valve has a small compressed air canister. The other has a sharpened piston. The compressed air will thrust to the piston forward, and the spike will puncture the drone's lithium-ion battery. If you've ever seen a lithium battery explode, it's quite a sight. Trying to move a dish out of sync is preferable to our mousetrap, but the drone will not survive the ladder. Just like me, he thought. Damn, he liked MacGyver, Danny said. Nah, MacGyver wouldn't have eaten a bullet, Jeff said wryly. Oh, not true, fam. Mac took like six or seven bullets throughout the run of the original series. He even got shot in the head once. Although that was, of course, just a dream sequence. Jeff handed Danny the remote control device, which consisted of a gamepad and an iPhone. He gave Sarah the iPad with its signal tracker app loaded and ready to go. There was a huge lightning strike with the accompanying bang just a few seconds later. This storm was close. Don't forget the 30-30 rule, Danny said to Sing Song Voice. You know, count to 30 when you see lightning. If you hear thunder before the 30 seconds is up, seek cover. It's close, Jeff said. Too damn close. Sarah, a moment. Jeff was leaning against the hood of Sarah's Chevy Spark. A smear of blood marked where he'd been resting his hand. Sarah joined him. Talking in hushed tones, Jeff said, Listen, Sarah, I want you to know how I feel about you. Jeff, that's for later. Let's just get this done, get you to the hospital. Plus, who knows when that cop's going to wake up, Sarah said. Jeff's eyes became distant and sad. Okay, it's just... I'm glad we had this time together. Allons-y. Let's go. 21-12-11. Danny familiarized himself with the drone controls as he began the ascent. The fastest a drone had 
ever ascended was right around 117 mile per hour, which would equal about 52 meters a second. It was a world record, but Jeff's more conventional drone had a maximum rate climb about 6 meters per second or about 20 feet. At that speed, it would take Danny nearly one full minute to reach his target. Jeff was in and out of lucidity, and Sarah believed that she heard stirrings near the unconscious body of Detective Santiago. As the seconds ticked by, it seemed like the drone would never reach the needed height to carry out the mission. Come on, come on, come on, Danny muttered while steering and tapping his foot. Danny's hands were sweating and occasionally slipping from the drone's controller's analog stick. It came uncomfortably close to grazing the orange button on the controller, which would begin the process of puncturing the internal lithium-ion battery and causing an explosive chemical reaction. After a series of long lightning strikes were visible, the auditory clue of their distance was that they are much closer now. The boom of the thunder was earth-shaking. They saw a flash and heard a long crack as a stray bolt of lightning split a tree not 100 yards from their current position. It was now or never. The drone finally reached its target. Danny let out a sigh of relief. He could see the white dish protruding from the side of the radio tower. The PS interactive logo featured prominently on the concave surface of the dish. It was much larger than Sarah suspected. Sarah, I don't know. I can't. I don't think this is right. I just don't know. His confidence was not compromised. Watching the ascent, it occurred to Danny that he never actually agreed to help these two. He wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. Danny realized he was just making excuses. Typical Dan, never followed through to the end. For her money, Sarah was empathetic. Being the nurse who administered needles to nervous patients, she could see fear. This guy was barely out of college. This was a lot to ask. Don't worry about it, Dan, Sarah said. Let's switch up. They traded devices and Sarah wasted no time. Prepare for ramming speed, Danny remarked. She pushed a stick forward on the drone control and pushed it right into the side of the dish. Careful not to jeopardize the device's propellers. It didn't seem to budge. No change, Danny said as he looked at the iPad display. He really didn't know what he was looking for, but the display didn't seem to be altered at all. Sarah pulled back on the stick and attempted it again from a different starting point. Unfortunately, this time she did clip one of the propellers and the drone began to lose stability. It hung wobbly in space, suspended by the remaining propellers. The signal remained unchanged. At first, Sarah thought the sound of the gunshot was more thunder. But she hadn't seen any lightning. Her heart pounded as her muscles tensed and she looked to her right. Leaning against the now blood-soaked hood of the Chevy Spark stood her friend, her once colleague, her ex-boyfriend, propped up by the car, leveling the unconscious detective's gun at her and Danny, but especially at her. What the fuck, man? What are you doing? Sarah yelled. Drop the controller or get shot, not Jeff said. You're not Jeff. I am. Ray? Ray Linguist? The singularity? Not yet, child. Jeff was still aware. Whatever had overtaken his body was still young. It wasn't powerful enough to fully overwrite his consciousness. He cursed himself. He had tried to change their fortunes, but every time he maneuvered, the timeline was corrected. The future may not be inevitable, but it certainly had a preference for the predictable, for the most probable. And here he was, aiming his weapon at a woman he had longed for for so long. 
The other future, the other probability was nearly invisible to him now. In that future, or present, he dies in her arms looking into her crystal eyes. What an indeed wonderful way he thought to die. Love, Jeff slash not Jeff spoke in labored tones. Now! Jeff, Sarah cried. Lightning flashed up the entire sky as if it were close to noon rather than close to its cousin, Midnight. The corporeal form of Jeff, now being controlled by this pre-incarnate form of the bridge, fought to raise its arm. There was no more time for speeches for convincing. Now it was time for action. Shoot! It formed an image of Sarah being shot in his head and dropping the drone controller. It kept the image in its mind. It was now all real Jeff could see. He was completely cut off from the rest of his mind. Shoot! The image again sent out a wave through Jeff's body. Jeff was aware of the present through his past premonitions of the future. He'd seen this play out a thousand times. Every one of them ended the same way for Jeff. He was already dead, but Sarah didn't always die. She could live. He pushed one thought at the top of his consciousness in a frantic pulse. He pushed as hard as he could. One message to deliver. He sent an image to Shara. How she looked at him. As the radiant form of the goddess. Sarah was his life and his soul. He sent out the never visible feeling of love and appreciation. It gushed from his inner self, from his very soul. He formed one word, three letters. If he could just push them out. Now, the form of Jeff explosively screamed. All of this happened before, and it will happen again. It was inevitable. No matter which probability Jeff saw, the proceeding always occurred in the same way. It took Sarah half a second to understand that her Jeff was now telling her now or never. Without thinking, she pressed the orange button on the drone controller. A current of electricity activated the solenoid valve. A quick puff of compressed air shot the sharpened piston forward, and it tore through the outer covering of the unit's power source. The drone began to smoke and sputter. Suddenly, a fountain of sparks shot from the drone's battery. It was only the precursor to the raging climax, the flames growing in intensity, getting hotter and hotter, releasing the pent-up force of the chemical reaction, until, in an intensely bright flash, there was an explosion. Sarah pressed forward on the joystick mere moments before the finale, connecting with the dish right as the drone exploded in a shower of sparks and lightweight metals. The display on Denny's iPad went dark, a warning displayed on the screen, connection error, no available networks. They did it. She ran towards her friend. Jeffy, you did it. It was too late. She didn't notice that he still had his gun to his side, that the look in his eyes wasn't his own, that he didn't speak or smile or react. Jeff raised the stolen Glock and in a flash pulled the trigger. The bullet caught Sarah in the side of the head. She wouldn't survive the wound. As Jeff walked over the body and put another bullet between her eyes, a flash of lightning lit up the area behind them. It was close, very close. Danny's eyes wide, stared in disbelief. When the cold eyes of not Jeff caught his eye, he felt a chill to the bone. It hates us, he thought. It hates us with a perfect hate. Yes, in a thousand ways, 
Jeff and Sarah's stories ended in her death at his hands. That's the future Jeff was trying so hard to defeat. But when you mess with time, it messes back. It was like trying to fight your way out of an ever-constricting straight jacket. The harder he pressed, the harder the probability pushed back. Yet, because he was able to see the probable outcomes since his first connection with the bridge back in the lab in Billings, he knew there was another way. Sarah ran towards her friend. Jeffy, you did it! As she approached, she noticed a look of abject terror in his eyes. He shook his head. No! She read the scene as danger. See, she froze. Jeff raised the stolen Glock while slowly inching his way forward. Inside, he tried to fight it. If he could just hold off until... In a flash, a massive bolt of lightning struck the embattled KIMG FM radio tower. In the same moment, Jeff's left hand shot out and grabbed hold of the nearby guy wire that he was creeping towards. The muscles in Jeff's hand seized around the cable, sending a monstrous amount of electricity surging through his body. No, Sarah screamed. Danny's eyes wide stared in disbelief. 300 million volts of electricity coursed through the steel tower, seeking ground. It traveled down the steel of the superstructure and through the guy wires. Hunting for its release, it decimated the independently owned radio station. The station's telos, phone controller, and Comrex remote broadcasting hub were both fried. Six potentiometers on the main console blew out, as did the studio monitor speakers and the on-air and newsroom computers. The wireless router, one of the satellite receivers, and the production room backup drive all failed. All tallied, the damage was in the neighborhood of $20,000. However, the lightning wasn't done with its rampage. It was over very quickly. Sarah bolted towards her friend. She knew he couldn't have survived. She grabbed his defeated body in the last moment. He saw his friend's crystal eyes. She held him in her arms and began to cry uncontrollably. Oh my God, he knew. You knew this would happen. After several minutes, Sarah finally stood up and wiped her face with her hands. She turned around to stop from staring at the body, took out her phone, and dialed Chief Archer's number with shaking fingers. 21-21-10. As Sarah hung up with Archer, her phone notified her of a new message. Jeff must have scheduled it earlier to send this evening. This was the only way, Sarah. You have to stop it. Forget me, I'm gone. Get to the lab. I've always loved you, JT. Boo-Boo Archer thanked Sarah for calling him and told her to be careful. He told her that, as far as he was concerned, she was never there. He immediately got on the radio to dispatch. I got a 1099 at Crow St. Xavier. The chief had to catch himself. In recent years, the emergency dispatchers in Montana had been converted to using regular English rather than cop speak. There are too many misunderstandings between agencies that had different meanings for different codes. Plus, since police radios had gone digital, snoopers with scanners were less of an issue. Besides, Archer argued that any nibshits who were listening were already in the new and already knew what the codes were anyway. This is Chief Archer, Crow Agency. I repeat, I have an officer down in the area of Grant's radio tower, Crow St. Xavier. I have two Injured. There was an encounter with wildlife, and the subject is injured and in extreme duress. I need a second transport for a victim of a lightning strike. Same area. Subject presumed 
Suspect is possible 1055. He cussed under his breath. Subject is likely a case for the coroner. Oh, and someone tell Tom Flynn that his radio target struck. Copy. A few moments passed, and the voice in the radio responded to the chief. Whoa, boy, Mother Nature is fighting back tonight. I mean, copy, chief. Two transports en route. The chief put down his microphone and repeated something his father told him and his father's father told him before that. He said, Though small in number, the crow remain. The crow will always remember. Old man, the crow will always remain. All crow. All crow. KTT9, Billings, Metro. Silver Police 3, Billings, Montana. Andrea Summers, Remote. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, as you said, there was a lot of confusion this morning across south-central Montana and Yellowstone County. The sheer number of calls to the Police Action Center Silver Alert program crashed the system. They were calling, and many are still trying to report a missing or, or endangered loved one. Johnny, you can vouch for this. When the Police Emergency Alert System 9 failed, desperate family members started flooding Action 6 tip line. If I'm correct, hold on a minute. Okay, I hate, I hate to do this on live TV, but the numbers keep on updating. Yeah, yes, yes, we've had over 80 calls within the last few hours. What are the calls reporting? That somebody in their family is missing. We don't know the scale of it yet, but there are reports coming out of Gillette, Billings, and Rapid City. So far, the phenomenon seems to be mostly affecting these three areas. Scattered reports are also coming out of the Crow Reservation of similar behavior. I spoke with the chief of the Crow Agency Police Department, Chief Boo Boo Archer, just moments ago. Q Archer Crow. We have about 30 patients, excuse me, 30 residents who cannot currently be located. There have also been scattered reports of fires and vehicle accidents that we feel may be related. I'll tell you this, Andrea. If this had happened during the day, we'd be in a lot more trouble. Archer said that the reports keep coming in and are, quote, concerning. Andrew Summers, Billings, Action 9 News. This is the Bridge Audiobook Podcast. This is Jared Morris for Brian Climber. Coming up, we're going to find what happens when they uh, hit the road. Jeff, well, Jeff got hit by lightning. Sarah and Danny have now been brought together through unforeseen circumstances and... It seems like fate was really pulling them together to accomplish or to fail at the upcoming task, which is to stop Ray Linguist. All that coming up next time. You're going to find out more at jaredmorris.com. is my face, my website. Facebook's Jared Morris Radio, at Jared Morris on Twitter. I want to let you know you can download the official audiobook soundtrack over at my 10xrecords.bandcamp.com featuring songs from this podcast and also uh, influenced by the greater work of the bridge. Until next time, I will see you when I see you. Good night. God bless. Good day, sir. I say good day, sir. Bye-bye.